jinkies. Oh, what's that gross book made out of skin? It's not a book. It's a tome made out of skin. Ew. What's it say? Behold the collected apocrypha of Stacy Ponder, the writer for Final Girl. And Anthony Hudson, the programmer for Queer Horror. And together they are... Oh my god! Don't read it out loud! Don't read it out loud! of Darkness! Well, here we are. Day something... Day thousand. Day thousand of the re threeing. <laughs> it's still happening. We've just begun. We have, we're not even halfway yet. That's fine. <laughs> and we have already lost our minds. Lost. I lost my mind probably a week before we started this. <laughs> so it's I. I said that on the first day. I said that I. I think it was the first day. I don't know. Don't ask me to remember any. Well, anything. We don't but, know what day it is. We don't know what year it is. Yeah, yeah. So the point is, I know early on I said that my brain was very soft. I don't think it even qualifies as a brain anymore. <laughs> so, but anyway. I mean, when we started, when we started last night, when we started the movie that we're going to be talking about today, I said, oh, wow, I don't think I've ever seen George C. Scott in anything before. Like, that's where my brain... As someone yeah. who... Then Jason immediately had to remind me one of my favorite horror movies is The Changeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was... And I just started laughing to myself. And then I remembered that article about, like, how the pandemic is literally softening our brains and nobody has memory anymore. Oh, I didn't... Well, that would explain a few things. I, well, it only partially explains some of your things, but... <laughs> <laughs> but... How dare you speak the truth of me? <laughs> that remark <laughs> but but that said and yes that is a real thing so actually stacy yes but on top of it we have this enormous marathon fundraiser happening where yes. we're simultaneously in the future and in the past and watching all these things and updating you about where we're at with money which stacy hmm? we are at oh, oh my gosh, gosh. I'm going to refresh. I'm going to refresh. Holy shit. Okay, so yesterday we set the goal at, and once again, this is so confusing because I say yesterday, but for you listening right now, that was two days ago, but for us, it's today, but that's tomorrow for you. Fuck. Uh, what? This is where we're at. We said 2,500 yesterday. We updated the goal. We are at, and this is in our first one, like, 24-hour full day of fundraising. We surpassed $3,000. We are at $3,110 raised. Oh. Wow. The fuck? (laughs) That is incredible. That is really incredible. It's only Tuesday as we were... Oh, Wednesday. What? Tuesday. (laughs) It is... It's only day. (laughs) It is a day. Only. (laughs) Well, they're going to listen to this on Wednesday, right? I... That's the thing. That's the thing. It's three days in for the listeners. Oh my God, this is our who's on first. It's three days in for the (laughs) listeners. It's only two days for us. And it gets even more confusing because it is actually, we have only been doing this for one full day in terms of the fundraising. I can't believe it because we are also at 3,110. That is half. That is, this is, that is half of what we raised last time. Yeah. We did the three-ding. Already. We're already halfway to 
last year's amount, which is nuts. That is nuts. Thank you, everybody, so much. For real. Thank you. This is wild. I, Stacey, my clicking finger's happening. I can't stop oh, it. The no. clicking finger. Oh, no. I don't like this quote. Oh, it's a different. It's not that Click. one. It's a different finger. Uh, I don't like <laughs> Give me the willies. We're raising the stakes in every aspect of our lives on this show today. <laughs> I'm upping the goal to $4,500. Wow. Okay. That's right. I'm going to do it. Why I'm not, hitting, right? I'm hitting go. I'm doing it. I'm saving that. It's. I mean, I would have said, let's raise it to 3333.33. But <laughs> everybody is so... Wise? Everybody is so incredible that we would probably blow past that in a the, hot second. So This is true. And if we get to 3333333, I hope you screenshot it, whoever yeah, you are. That would be and, nice. And, and post it for us. Um, but that might have probably happened by the time you hear this. I don't know. We're living in the past, present, and the future as we do this. It's... It's it's like the feeling when the airplane drops for a second and your guts just go up into like your diaphragm. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, <laughs> "Am I going to die?" <laughs> but it's all for a good cause because it is. All of this, all of these funds raised, every last cent of the the so far over $3,000 we've raised, every last cent goes to the National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum, the NAPAWF, who is an org that is dedicated to building the collective power of Asian American and Pacific Islander women and girls to gain full agency over their lives, their families, and their communities. And they are at NAPAWF.org. You can uh, donate to our fundraiser for them, our GoFundMe at GoFundMe. Um, you can search for Gaylords of Darkness. You can click. There's a banner at the top of our GaylordsofDarkness.com webpage. You can click that. It'll take you right to it. It's also in the links in all of our bios. You all know how to find it. Who am I talking to here? That's true. Well, you could You've be talking been... to someone like us. <laughs> Who's also like <laughs> Who's also very soft right now. Oh, madam, what day is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wanted to, I know how boring it is to hear people read things when you're listening to a podcast, but I just thought for those who forget to click or whatever, I thought I would uh, read a little bit from there about us I would so that people that. actually know what this organization does because it's pretty cool. It's really um, important. And, and it, I think I appreciate you doing that so as to not, I mean, we're watching, all we have to do is watch the third horror movie in a franchise, right? Which yeah, is, I mean, is silly. Oh, let me talk about Children of the Corn 3. <laughs> like, that's my job in all of this. You know what I mean? And yes. so they're on the ground doing work. Um, they work out of four offices in Atlanta, Chicago, New York, and Washington, D.C. But they are mobilizing and building power in 14 cities across the United States. So their work is focused on policy and structural change, organizing and civic engagement, and legal advocacy and judicial strategy. And they use a reproductive justice lens to intersectionally address three core issues, reproductive health and rights, economic justice, and immigration and racial justice. So this is really about empowering uh, the Asian American Pacific Islander women, which is where real change can begin to happen. Mm -hmm. Like I know that the hashtag that's kind of caught on during all of this time has been Stop Asian Hate, which is like the baseline. Mm -hmm. It is the like that is the bare minimum that people need to do is like stop hating the Asian community. 
That's that's kind of like I mean it's uh, it shouldn't even need to be said, but it's kind of like a a basic agreement, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the basic thing. And so, but like beyond that, what we need to do is empower these communities. Yes. Um. So they are not invisible anymore. Um. And we we can all do that. Like, obviously, donating to this this organization is you know vital mm-hmm. but also like we talked about on the first day of the re-threening like supporting businesses supporting artists things like that can lead to change mm-hmm. so i love that i love that and i i also love that they're uh looking at how to how how this is intersectionally affecting people in their communities mm-hmm. um i think when we talk about intersectionality in on the internet, intersectionality often turns into a game of oppression Olympics. <laughs> this is yes. something that I have noticed as a person who belongs to multiple marginalized groups. Mm-hmm. Um, it turns into a, well, some often, yeah, it's like, well, who who has the worst is kind of how I think white or normative people look at intersectionality. Mm-hmm. Um, intersectionality really at its heart is when you can't distinguish the oppressions that are coming at you because they are so entwined. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, the issue of, of not only uh, anti-Asian racism, but also the issue of, the, of misogyny of being an Asian woman and the misogyny that's directed at you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think all we have to do is look at just the the, the triggering incident that is why we started this um, as a, a huge horrific example of that and how it affects people's lives. Um, NAPAWF, super cool. Once again, you can find out all about them at NAPAWF.org. Um, and then you can donate to them directly through there. You can join their email list. You can you can become a recurring donor, and you can share our fundraiser too. Um, yes. Once again, three thousand one hundred and ten dollars raised. Oh. So cool. Eighty three donors so far. That's eighty three of you. That's awesome. And we are so grateful for every single one of you. Every dollar amount helps. Every share helps. Um, means a lot. Absolutely. We've still got days to go. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to raise a lot of money, you know. Yeah. I, I feel like Jerry Lewis. That's the thing, is that's why we keep raising this fundraiser, too. Yes. Is we have the rental Jerry Lewis outfit for a week, <laughs> so we have to get our money's worth. I'm in the Jerry Lewis outfit. Anthony is behind me on a rotary phone. <laughs> yeah. In my talking perm to wig. donors in in the perm wig, talking to donors. <laughs> you know, I have to say, um, as you're talking about intersectionality and this, that, and the other thing, is you know what community actually has it really good. That even the racists are like, I don't know, they just seem to have, things are going really well for them. And that's the purple people. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's the thing is that we always say whether you're white, brown, pink, or purple. Yeah. The, you know, a, a racist, like the hardcore racist, or even the racist light, you know? They'll say like, yeah. I don't care if you're purple. It's like, why do the purple people get everything handed to them? <laughs> anyway. Well, I mean, we have done a lot to overturn the damage that was inflicted on them by the flying purple people eater. <laughs> That's true. They did. So, Stacy, it's it's not without. It's true. Okay, it, you're every right. every struggle, you know, it's not without struggle. All right. I guess I'm turning it into the oppression Olympics now, right? Look at what you're doing. Look what I'm doing. That, see, Look you're in the calling mirror. yourself in. That's right. 
I'm looking in the mirror at my Poltergeist 3 California Raisin visage is gazing back. There's ice everywhere for some reason. Oh, now she's starting to stroke her necklace. <laughs> now my necklace is getting some action. <laughs> anyway, that was Monday, right? That was Monday. We, that was Monday's show. We are on Wednesday now. There are still four more movies to go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I um, But I love these movies. The lineup this week, as we said at the outset, is really great. I'm super excited this week. Oh. Honestly, the only way we could go from here is down. <laughs> like they, these have all been great so far. Mm-hmm. Different flavors of great. Mhm. Today we have Exorcist 3. <sighs> Anthony popped the old Exorcist 3 cherry. I hate that. I'm sorry. I <laughs> I hate it when people say that when they're like, "Oh, I went on a roller coaster. I popped my roller coaster cherry." It's just like, "Kid, don't." <laughs> So why did I say a thing that I hate that makes my blood turn to ice? I don't know. It was the California raising me in the mirror. Listen, I popped it and all the pea soup exploded out. And let me tell you, I think I gotta say, this has been, this is, so far, this is the treat. Yeah. I'm sorry. I was disassociating there. Yeah, you were, you you had willed yourself (laughs) out of your body. (laughs) Yep. Exorcist, I'm so glad you finally saw this. It is, it's a classic as far as I'm concerned. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that. I'm gonna take that. I'm gonna level it up. I'm gonna say it's bitchin' with an apostrophe. Well. It's bitchin'. I love this movie. Yay! I cannot believe I had never seen it. But how, how awesome though that you hadn't, in a way, like that's the thing is whenever, I will say as a blanket, whatever, Anytime I have said on this show, you've never seen this, it's only, I'm not like, I'm not trying to shame you or anything. I'm like, oh my gosh, wow. This is a great movie that you have yet to experience. Mm -hmm. How fucking exciting for you. And so how cool that you haven't seen this before, whereas you could have seen it like 30 years ago or whatever when it came out and, and fine. It doesn't mean that it's any less for Mm -hmm. someone like me who has seen it, I don't know how many times over the years, but like, wow, you got like, there's a a movie that is new to you that is also like kind of a horror masterpiece. It's, I'm absolutely there with you. I think it is kind of a masterpiece. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 I had that feeling watching it. I was like, it's starting it up right. And I'm like, oh, oh, what are these feelings I'm getting? Because I was an exorcist. I think I said at the end of the last episode, I was an exorcist kid growing up because, you know, growing up Catholic and also being into horror movies and at that age where I was being called weird for being into horror, I was like 11, you know, around the same time that I stopped actively being Catholic, but, um, uh, it was okay to like The Exorcist because I was like, no, but like Catholics own this one, right? Like this is our <laughs> subject matter. So like this is mine. So I was obsessed with The Exorcist and I had always intended to see part three for whatever reason, never did. And watching it, I'm like, I start getting my Exorcist feelings again. You know, it opens and you get the credits and you hear tubular bells and I'm like, oh. Oh. just for a second you hear it and then it turns into different sound design that's creepy and I'm like, oh, I've won a, I'm back in Georgetown. And then you see George C. Scott, and I'm like, 
What a class act, oh, right? Yeah. It, I mean, is he a piece of shit? Do we know? Was he a piece of shit? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't fact-checked. Probably. I haven't fact-checked it, and just let me have this. What an actor. What an actor. This movie, if nothing else, is an acting showcase for so many people. The acting is, hands down, the best aspect of this film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Of which there are many great aspects. Yeah. But watching him in the, I was just like, I had those, like, I know I've said it about several people in the course of this show, but my God, they don't make him like George C. Scott anymore. I had the same thought. Like, we just don't get that strain of actor anymore. It's just not a thing. You know what's weird is like, like, I'm the kind of person, like, I never go to a movie for an actor, right? Like, I'm always there for whatever woman Right. I am obsessed with at the time, or women. Like when I saw Bombshell, it was it was nonstop screaming in the theater because I was like, Trisha Halfer now. Like every <laughs> woman I've ever been obsessed with came out on screen in that movie. But um, and, and I don't know if you told me, oh yeah, go you, here. You're gonna love this horror movie starring this like you know seventy year old actor. I'd be like, what? I don't care. I don't care about him. This guy, just. He's a god. <laughs> yeah. He is a grandfatherly, kind-faced barrel of a man. <laughs> yeah. And I just love him. I mean, here's, I love Kinder... I can't remember the actor that played Kinderman in the first film. Lee J. Cobb. He's fantastic. He's like... There's a really nice, you know, sub-thread in The Exorcist about Kinderman just showing up to... And he's just like... He's just like kind of the whimsical, weird detective. Mm-hmm. And he has a really nice subthread of him and, and Father Dyer hanging out, going to movies. Father Karras. Father, oh, it's Father Karras. And then he hangs out with Father Dyer in the end. Yes. And it's just, it's just like, it's a nice human touch in a weird, supernatural, wacky movie story. Mm-hmm. And just being, getting George C. Scott, because Lee J. Cobb had died, had passed mm-hmm. away when, by the time they made this. So they recast with George C. Scott. And you could not have done better. Yeah. Fabulous. He's just yeah. absolutely fantastic. I love an actor. Which is, I mean, I guess, I don't know, as a, as a misandrist and a lesbian, you would think, no. She's, <laughs> she's going to hate them all, castrate them, and send them away. But no. I love an actor, especially of the 70s and into the 80s. But that's variety. the thing. It's like these classic guys, right? Yeah. He's just, like, I love this because uh, William Peter Blatty... Got to direct this one, the writer of the the initial Exorcist, and he also based this off his novel Legion. Um, and I love that he he feels very equipped to handle this movie uh, as an heir to Friedkin. Um, it, it feels very much in line with what the the groundwork that Friedkin and the cinematic and visual like sort of aesthetic groundwork that Friedkin laid out in the initial. This one very much is heir apparent to that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just really loved this movie. It's good shit, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's really I see good shit. I see why Mott uh, has harassed us for a year trying to get us to <laughs> review this movie. I love it. Yeah, it's interesting what you say about um Blatty. It's clearly this was this is his vision. Mm-hmm. And it is especially like you mentioned the tubular bells and everything. Initially when it starts showing like the sunrise and like the streets of Georgetown and the fog starts rolling in and the tubular bells and you get that same font from the fucking the original film and it's just like oh this feels so nice mm-hmm. but he like made his own thing 
but it does feel like the, the definitely the heir apparent, like you said. And I guess Friedkin was originally attached to this to direct. Yeah, and they had they had a bit of a falling out over it about their vision for what they wanted, and then John Carpenter was attached of all people. Really? Yeah, John Carpenter was supposed to direct, but then he left the project. He said when he when it became very apparent that Blatty really just wanted to direct it. So John Carpenter left, but it was like amicable, whatever, you know, but I think I I almost, as much as I love Prince of Darkness, let's say, I almost shudder to think what 1990 John Carpenter would have done with this. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, the, the, I don't think it would, I definitely don't think it would have the same mood. No. And the mood I think is the most one of the most important thing about this movie. Yeah, it does not feel like a 1990 horror film. It feels like maybe 82, probably yeah. 80. Yeah. Yeah, if anything if anything feels sort of disconnected from the original Exorcist and that vibe and the sort of the that's kind of 80s vibe that you're picking up on. If anything, it's just the the sort the the the, the revelation of the killer and the 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 fact that there are these scenes of these killings and stuff mm-hmm. like that feels a little bit more contemporary and the razzle dazzle ending which was a studio mandate the whole exorcism scene yeah which honest that's the thing is like i mean if i had any read of this movie i'm like it didn't need that no it didn't so i wasn't surprised to go but because i i knew very i very much knew nothing about this movie uh so going into it and and then going to read about it after the fact and seeing that he had, had he, they ordered a reshoot and attached the exorcism onto it because they said, well, it's the exorcist. You have to have an exorcism. Because mm-hmm. the whole time I was watching it, I was like, oh my God, this is brilliant. It's called the exorcist and it doesn't even have to have an exorcism. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately it did. But it, it, it's such a solid movie that it it's it's such a fantastic, like, thematic and and it is a direct sequel to the first movie mm-hmm. um it's such a fantastic thematic and direct sequel but it really it, it really achieves that like sort of spiritual sequel feel yes. where it, yes. it feels like the right sequel even if it's not what you would conventionally expect a sequel to the exorcist to to, to be i mean that's that's how they ended up with exorcist 2 <laughs> <laughs> yeah Ooh, exorcist 2 I read that um, we love, <laughs> which I do love, but is bonkers as fuck, and is like, who thought this was a good idea? My goodness. Um, but apparently, when Blatty was making this and was going to direct, it was kind of a choose between the film companies, and so he chose the lesser of two evils, who eventually did want the exorcism scene. But did you read about the other company and what they wanted? No. Instead of this, they wanted the film to be. Um, about Reagan again, who's grown up and who gives birth to possessed twins. Um. And so, on the one hand, I say, well, I vastly, I'm so glad we got what we got. On the other hand, <laughs> the corn lover in me <laughs> says grown up Reagan shitting out two possessed twins. <laughs> Even okay. better if they recast Linda Blair with Patty Duke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Even better. So, so, anyway. I'm so, I just love that he went in this weirdo direction with it. I think that's the first, that's what I wrote on my notes the second the movie 
ended was I just wrote, this is fucking bonkers, but mm-hmm. somehow it totally works. Like, he just went, he just went, he just let his imagination go wild of, like, how would I bring these characters back? Who would I focus on? Who would I, who would I bring back that you wouldn't expect to come back? And he just went with it. <laughs> he mm-hmm. threw in some Zodiac Killer nonsense in there. And it mm-hmm. was great. And it was creepy. It is very creepy. Yeah. It's also very funny. Yes, it is. It's, especially early on. Like you said, in the original film, Kinderman and Karis are like best buds. And one of their things that they share is a love of cinema. And they go to the movies all the time. And when Karis dies, at the end of the film, Kinderman strikes up a friendship with Father Dyer. Mm-hmm. And they're going to start. He's like, hey, Father, do you, do you enjoy movies or whatever? And like we get to see the very beginning of their f- friendship. And now here we are 15 years later. And they're like best buddies. And one of the things they do is they share a love of cinema. They, on the anniversary of Karis's death, they get together every year to cheer. Each of them thinks they're cheering the other one up. They're a couple of like gruff older dudes. So they simultaneously show their affection for each other and oh. don't and refuse to acknowledge their affection for each other. And it's just mm-hmm. their relationship and friendship in this movie is inc- is like you don't get to see these kind of friendships in movies. It's, it, it's one, it's real. It's, it feels so authentic. I still don't, nobody knows what the fuck that word means and it's a lie, but it feels authentic. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I think that is so important that you see this very heartfelt three-dimensional relationship between two older men, one of whom is a priest, a priest who drinks, one of whom is a priest, (laughs) and that like one of them can die and the other one will cry over it. Yeah. Like that's actually very significant. Uh in a in a especially with it. I mean you, you, when you're working with the guy who played fucking Patton. Mhm. And he's crying over the loss of his like the sudden loss of his best friend. It's such a brilliant when we get to that horrible point. And the camera switches to first-person view, and we're in Kinderman's shoes, and he's walking down the hospital hallway, and everybody around him is just kind of stopping and looking at him, because they know how much Father Dyer meant to him. And they know Father Dyer's butchered body is in the hotel room. I mean, hotel room. In the hospital room. (laughs) In the hotel room. Yeah. And so we're in Kinderman's shoes and it's just like it's so brilliantly handled. He does Blatty does so many little touches like that in this movie. Yeah. Over the course of it that are just like such a mastery of the craft. It's, it's like as corny as that sounds, it's like that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's why it's so shocking for me that like a, a writer who specifically was mostly just known for writing The Exorcist could direct less like that that scene i think that might actually be the most powerful scene in the movie um and and in in a lot of horror movies <laughs> actually that might be one of the most powerful scenes um as and it's definitely a films from the 90s but yeah like the the walking the people kinderman walking in people walking on eggshells around him mm-hmm. like they don't want to they don't want to make his day any worse the guy the the other detective that's in the room as he comes in and the guy's taking pictures i don't know why the guy's taking pictures of a, a sheet over a body <laughs> but the guy's yeah. taking pictures and the other guy like goes up to him he's like oh stop doing that like this guy's about to confirm that this is his best friend dad and he and kinderman has some reactions there you're kind of waiting for him to break down or something but brilliantly again 
that doesn't come until later in a yeah. seemingly unrelated sequence where he's describing the crimes committed by the Gemini killer. Yeah. And like, just... that's when he breaks down over it. And it's just like, that is how that man would handle this. Mm-hmm. He's not going to walk in and see the body and go, oh, okay. It's, he's not going to be Tony Collette in Hereditary. You know what yeah. I mean? This is how that guy would handle it. And it's just, it's just. Not to like say he... that she wasn't incredible. In that, no, she was, she absolutely. But it was a very different response. Right. And it was, that was also completely appropriate. Yes. That's the thing is it's not like this Kinderman would not react the way Annie does. <laughs> you know, they're yes. two different people. It's two different relationships. And, and so, and the, again, it's it feels like you said, it feels very authentic. The fact that he that that, that he, uh, that's the other thing. Like, this is this is camera acting people like this. is yeah. that that could have been in not in sequence. He mm-hmm. has to con- convey that narrative from that in that scene. He has to begin to show the bottling up of it. Right. And then he has to continue to increase that in every single scene until he has his breaking point. And who knows in what sequence that was filmed, if that was in sequence at all. And he just pulls it off. And it's 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 a masterclass in acting. Um, I I, I honestly feel like I could spend the entire episode just talking about that scene (laughs) because it was so incredible Um, and heartbreaking seeing them at the movie theater. I mean, I part of me, there was part of me that's like, hey, they recast Father Dyer and he doesn't seem as gay now. But, <laughs> yeah. but like, the, the relationship is so real that I immediately got over it. Seeing them go into the movie and and Kinderman's getting ready to walk in the auditorium and then he stops and he kind of gets grumpy and turns around and he sees Father Dyer going to buy some, uh, he has to get his lemon drops and Kinderman goes, <laughs> we're going to be late for the start of the feature or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And they're like a bickering couple. Yeah. Later, they, they he gives them the amazing carp speech. It's just a speech about how his mother-in-law is keeping a carp in the bathtub. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just so... It's the thing that would immediately be excised by a different director or editor or, editor or studio. Yeah. But it builds who these characters are and the comedy between them. And ugh, it's just so good. It's the, it's the kind of... Like you said, it's the kind of stuff that gets excised a lot of times. Um, it's also the kind of stuff that a lot of audiences will say, why was that in there? Like, they want it excised. It reminds me of all things of Fargo, the film. Mm-hmm. There's the scene with Marge and Mike Yamagita when she reunites with the guy and they start talking and he's increasingly weird and has made up this whole backstory for himself and then confesses oh. his love to Marge. Like, they go out for a random lunch together. They haven't seen each other since high school or whatever. And it's such a random scene that you're like, why is this in here? And later on, it pays off when she, like, figures out that uh, William H. Macy is lying because she's like, well, if Mikey Yamagita was lying and making everything up this guy could be and it's like that's why that scene was there and it tells you yes. more about her character yes and that's what this does is like the scene where um when kinderman comes in to visit dyer who's in the hospital for some tests and he's walking down the hall and he's got this stuffed penguin or whatever it is <laughs> and his bag with the food in it and he's like walking and you can see that he's worried but then right before he goes into the room, he like straightens up and he comes in and he's like, ah, what are you doing in here? What's going on? Like, yeah. You know what I mean? And it's that that whole their relationship of like being affectionate. It's like he's visiting him and brought him a stuffed animal. Yeah. Oh, but a fucking adorable penguin puffin thing. 
Yeah, and having to be the tough guy who can't actually just say, hey, I'm really worried about you. He has to and show it in other ways. Even And even just in the line delivery, like the lines that he's given, he's, he's, he's oh, you got this from me? And he's like, no, I just found it on the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you selected this yep. stuffed animal for your boyfriend, <laughs> your, your platonic <laughs> boyfriend. Yeah. And it is so goddamn sweet. And something awful is going to happen now. And I am very upset. And then, well, then... Father Dyer is there reading Women's Wear Daily. Yes! <laughs> Which I love. So good! It's, I mean, I, you're absolutely right. Like, that is a testament to... Also, um, I mean, not every not every writer can go and become a great director. But it is a testament to having a skilled writer overseeing the project. <laughs> Yes, who knows these characters. Yeah, you get those little, like the carp speech, you get those little things that help build up who this person is and helps make them feel like a living person. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of an actor cashing in a paycheck. My God, it's just, it's, I love this movie. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's like, you know, not only is does it serve the film itself by raising the stakes when Dyer dies and or is killed and, you know, like... It helps the film itself, but also it's just so wonderful to see this kind of friendship and relationship between men. Yeah. Because while we've had male friendships on screen before, usually it's like they are bonded over some kind of task. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It'll be like Mel Gibson and Danny Glover in Lethal Weapon. Yeah. And then one of them dies and Mel Gibson gets crazy. And, or Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid or something like that where they're like partners doing a thing and that's how they manly bond together or whatever. And it's like, this is just two dudes who hit it off. Yeah. And have forged this friendship over a decade and a half and really love each other. And they're old. I think that's also important. <laughs> like, yes. These are old yeah. guys. Yeah. That really love each other. Yeah. It's important to see things like that, I think. I absolutely agree. Yeah, I it's just it's so thoughtful. I mean, that's the thing. The Exorcist has the initial Exorcist, I think, because it was also Freakin' and Blatty, has that same level of thoughtfulness. Mm-hmm. And this has this has exactly that, and also goes to completely as bonkers as the Exorcism gets in the initial film. This movie gets just as bonkers with its serial killer storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels very appropriate to what you're watching. This, the Gemini killer. So what's happening? Kinderman, who is BFFs with Father Dyer. Uh, it's 15 years after The Exorcist. Father Karras, you know, did his, his plunge down those steps in Georgetown and died. Kudos to the stair stuntman. My God. Stuntman? Stuntman? Ha- stuntman. That's like um, Jennifer <laughs> Tilly calling Redman Redman. Yeah. <laughs> Joe Stuntman. Stuntman. <laughs> <laughs> Which, how do you even do that stunt? I literally don't I n- understand no how you throw yourself down that many stairs without just snapping your neck first thing. Yeah. Um, let alone having a, a misaligned hip at, at best. Mm-hmm. Um, so so the, the, these killings, have, it's been 15 years and killings have started happening all, all over Georgetown. And they're very similar to the killings of the Gemini killer who was haunting Georgetown 15 years before, um, which I guess means that those killings were happening at the same time as the initial exorcist Mm -hmm. as Reagan's possession. 
they're vaguely religious. They're, they're, one's affecting like an altar boy, another is affect, another killing, uh, the two other killings have been priests, their heads are being removed, the people are being paralyzed. Um, <gasps> oh? I've always wondered, in the original film, who's defiling the religious statues in the churches? You always say, <gasps> like, who is that? Is it Reagan sneaking out at night and... Oh my god, Stacey, is that it? Is that the Gemini killer doing that? Because that's what I was thinking, is I was like, well, if that was at the same time, wouldn't Kinderman have mentioned, like, hey, why am I investigating this director being thrown out a window when someone's killing a million people? Yeah. But if that's, that would, because, well, and then it makes more sense because, um, well, I guess, okay, so... Kinderman starts to look into it in, in, uh, through a, a long series of events and things happening. Uh, it's not actually a long series of events, but through the course of the movie, he comes to determine that there is a patient in this hospital who is locked away, um, who looks a lot like Father Karras, who then, after a certain amount of time and a certain amount of deaths, claims to like be, comes out of catatonia and claims to be the Gemini killer. Um, reading about this... Apparently there was an additional motive in the book, which I really want to read the book now, but in the book and in the initial script, there was a, a more of a motive for the Gemini killer that he was raised by like this religious parent, super religious. And so all of these killings and the initial ones in the, in the 70s were meant to like get back at the parent by defiling the church and stuff. Mm-hmm. So actually, Stacey, that is so exciting. I I feel like I just solved a mystery for myself that's been going on for decades. Right? No, and and hearing, you you could hear you solve that mystery. (laughs) (laughs) Because that was always the thing, is like they would show, as things started to heat up in The Exorcist, it's like you get the shot in the church of like that nun statue where they put Mm -hmm. horns on her breasts or whatever, and it's just like, am I supposed to think Reagan was sneaking out to do that? Yeah, it's it's like there's just some supernatural things maybe that are happening outside of the household. Right, yeah. Disconnected from Reagan. But it would make perfect sense if it's the Gemini killer. Ooh. That is some rich world building. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love, you know what? I love William Pla- Peter Blatty. Take all my money. <laughs> He's done a good job. Apparently also the end of, I also like... That uh, the Gemini killer's father, like he was killing people to shame him. I and I, this is such a weird thing to say, but I appreciate the fact that we have a serial killer who didn't first kill the parent and then recreate those murders in his victims. Mm-hmm. The parent was still alive, and so all of his victims were random just to bring shame upon his father. And I guess the original ending of this film, the father was going to die. And so then the Gemini killer was like, well, my job's done. And then he kills over. He's dead. Yeah. Yeah. Because he has nothing. No he other has nothing. point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And in this, it's it's kind of, um, it was shocking to me. I honestly, I honestly didn't know that Jason Miller was still around when this was made. Because um, mm. I, I knew he passed away, but I didn't know. I didn't know that he was in this. So I was oh, wow. shocked. I was literally I for being such an exorcist kid. I knew so little. I think at one point I knew that he was in it, but I must have forgotten. Because um, then when 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 Kinderman's walking through the who is it? Nurse Allerton, my fucking queen. <laughs> Nancy, Nancy, goddamn fish is amazing as this this 
ice queen of a nurse. I fucking loved her. <laughs> but um, she admits him into the the hallway with the with the, the people that are locked up in the hospital. The disturbed ward. The disturbed ward. Instead of Barney, you get Nurse Allerton, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who's not at all kind like Barney. And I love her. Um, <laughs> and he's walking through, and he hear he hears Billy. And it sounds like it's in Father Karras's voice. And he looks in the cell and there's a person that kind of looks like Karras. And I was just shocked. I was absolutely oh. shook. Oh. That, and then I'm saying, well, what the fuck? How is Karras back? Because he died. He died. They show him, thanks to that stunt person, we see him fly down those steps. And then we see him dead. We see the guy say, he's dead, Bill, or whatever. Yeah. And then they, Blatty comes up with this, this pretty, actually fantastic plotline where at the moment that he died, um, he got, which I guess he threw himself out the window because he was possessed. Yeah, that was the whole, right? Like he, because he was like, ah, and his eyes were Yeah, you see the gnarly him. face. Yeah. And so he's like, I'm going to fucking end this. So he throws himself out the thing, but then he dies and then he gets re-repossessed for the re-threading. He gets re-repossessed. <laughs> By the Gemini killer who had just been executed. Yep. Um, and 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 he because of the fall, he has been in this state of catatonia, regenerating his brain cells for fifteen years, all as part of the scheme to get back at um, like Pazuzu or whoever is also working with the Gemini killer. Nobody knows <laughs> is is getting back at the people involved in the initial McNeil possession and the people who helped get this this demon out of reagan mcneil exorcist Um, three pazuzu's revenge yeah pazuzu's revenge and and then we get um brad dorif who kind of does shares the role with karis which to me also was was a little weird because i i love brad dorif everyone knows this i adore brad dorif and he does a great job but most of the time i'm like wait why aren't we seeing if we have Jason Miller back, why aren't we seeing Jason Miller? Right, yeah. I guess it was to drive it home that it was actually the Gemini killer. Yeah. I, I, I just felt like they could have shortened. And I, I guess in the director's cut, which for this we did, we should also say we watched the theatrical cut for this. Yes. Um, but in the director's cut, which isn't really a director's cut, it's just the like Scream Factory reconstructed the movie more in line with the screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I guess in that there's less Dorif and more Jason Miller. Mm. Um. But yeah, I, I, but it was just, I thought that was, it was, it, it seemed like at the different, if it wasn't Blatty, it seemed like that would be such a far, like such a stretch, a grandma stretch, if you will. (laughs) No. (laughs) To make that, (laughs) thank you, to make that work. It works, Um, right? If you're going to do this, I think it works. It works and it's cool. And it really, it's, it's, if this is, if this movie is in a nutshell, Kinderman has a bad day. Right. How to make things worse than his best friend dies, and now who is he seeing again? Who is the person responsible for all of this? <laughs> his other best friend. Yeah. Who yeah. he replaced with his now dead best friend. Yeah. Yeah. It's, wow. I'm such a sucker for, I always have been, although granted the the upswing in amount of exorcism movies over the last 10 years or something has really numbed me to them. But I've always been a fan of the subgenre. I love, it. like, the grosser the better. Mm-hmm. Give me some woman in bed throwing up with your corn teeth. Like, I am there. I love that it's never moved past that since it's, the exorcism. It honestly had. Now they just have computers so they can make her body do weird things, usually. Yeah. 
Because not everybody is Ashley Bell who can, like, do whatever she did in the fucking last exorcism. But, so, I just... She was amazing. I've kind of reached my limits, but I still do... Uh, Exorcism scenes, even in something like the devil inside that terrible movie that everybody oh you hates. liked that one didn't you I, I like i understand the ending is bad or whatever but other than that i was kind of into it and i'm like this exorcism stuff is kind of scary like it's all a very superficial scare to me it doesn't like unnerve me for the rest of the day or whatever it's but it's just like give me a creepy voice and a creepy face all right you got me yeah but my point is exorcist three i'm like i don't want this exorcism no, same. I don't want this right now. Like, I do enjoy those yellow contacts in Jason Miller. And am I ever going to say no, no thank you, Colleen Dewhurst, who replaced Mercedes McCain Bridge as the voice of the demon? Uh, George C. Scott's twice ex-wife. <laughs> yeah. Who comes back here to haunt him again. Yeah. <laughs> pretty wicked. Yeah. Yeah. But the razzle dazzle when the lightning starts hitting the floor and everything. Like, it's fine. But also, I'm like, I don't want this. Or, like, it, it's so anathema to the rest of the film that we've seen. If any, if honestly, if anything, it's just there to, to, um, to, to further sing the praises of William Peter Blatty. Because that, that, that exorcism scene is completely unnecessary. It's competently filmed yes it's competently edited it's competently ham-fisted into this movie that doesn't need it and honestly yeah you'll spend the whole movie being like i love what is happening i hope they don't do an exorcism yeah because this weird vibe is exactly what a sequel to the exorcist should be yes regardless of if it's called the exorcist and it doesn't have one yeah um, even so, even though there is, and I say this, like the lightning hitting the floor and the floor goes away and George C. Scott is held to the wall for some reason. And then there's the the other priest who's only there for this exorcism and he's been all peeled and he's on the ceiling and there's blood and all like all that crazy stuff. At the same time, it is also a fairly restrained exorcism scene. We don't yeah, get, it's quick. We don't get Jason Miller like levitating and spinning around and doing all this stuff. It's like he's still sitting there in his straitjacket. George C. Scott has goes through his whole crisis of faith speech. Mm-hmm. And there you go. You're good. And honestly, by the time it's over, you're like, oh, well, that was all worth it. Because then George C. Scott's like, guess what? I'm going to shoot you. Yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he knows he and Karis team up. Karis is like, I'm free. Kill me. And then he just shoots the shit out of him. And it's a great ending. The only, like, I could have, it could have just been, okay, no exorcism. George C. Scott just walks in and says, I have had a bad day and kills him and it's over. I think that's also an ending that could have happened. Yeah, but, I would but, have been completely satisfied with that. That was, that was one of the, I don't know, it's like, he had the one where the Gemini killer just kind of gives up and dies. And then I think there was another one where Kinderman literally just shoots him and that's the end. And then the studio yeah. was like, no, we need the old exorcism. Yeah. So. And then they inserted that, and Blatty inserted, um, to, to help that exorcism make sense, he introduced and shot and added in the fa- the, the exorcist figure, Father Mourning. Or Father Mourning, yeah. Father Mourning. Um, who, I think before that, like, but even that, it's you just kind of forget that he's in the movie, and it doesn't feel yeah. too 
unnecessary like he's like oh here's a cute bird oh the bird's dead oh he's looking at his bird and his bible his cross fell off his wall oh and now he's walking down the hallway and now he's doing the exorcism oh now he's dead yeah we know but that was... he has exorcism experience in the philippines or something he mm-hmm. and that's why his hair turned white like he introduces just enough so that when he comes in at the end we're not com- like like who is this guy but then even at the end it's like he does his exorcism thing and then he gets stuck to the ceiling and flayed but the, pretty cool. It is pretty cool and pretty gross also. And then you're like, ah, yeah, this this is 1990. Yep. Um, but then even so, like, he is kind of shunted to the side and it's Kinderman's show. You know? Yes. So that's good, at least. But I didn't know what he was doing. Yes. Even when the studio was like, you have to have this thing that you don't want. He still made it work. So. He figured out how to make it work in, like, the least invasive way. Mm-hmm. Which is shocking because it is the ultimate set piece of the film. I mean, or at least the final ultimate in that respect. Uh, I, for me, talking about set pieces and ultimate ones, look at... I, I just can't get over the fact that Blatty did such a good job. I'm just, like, giving him gold stars today. Yeah. Uh, from my gold star <laughs> sticker sheet. But, um, uh, I mean, the exorcism, perfectly competently done. Uh, it works. It's kind of wacky. But then look at the restraint and how much of a set piece it becomes just by having the one stationary camera in the hospital in that hallway scene. Yeah. Had you seen that scene before? No, Jason, when it started, Jason also hadn't seen the movie and he goes, oh, this is what? like the fake. Yeah, apparently. So he goes, this is the famous scene. I don't know how he knew that, but. I, so it's I a, it is literally a famous scene. It'll be like in the, you know, Bravo presents the hundred scale. It'll be like number three. Oh, like, and they have, like, it's, Eli it's Roth an... come on and talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's an extremely famous scene, and so I wondered if you had seen that. No! Uh, outside I, of it. Oh, wow, wow! Not, Stacey! Not, wow! Not touched by human hands. I'm like, so un, jealous! Unsoiled, completely, completely new experience for I me. am so jealous you got to see that scene for the first time. And I said, the scene started and I'm like, oh, it's the nurse in the red. I really liked the scene where earlier where she came in to bring the pills, but she was, didn't know what room she was in and she did a funny face. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I said in that moment, I have bonded and pledged allegiance to this queen <laughs> because I'm a gay lord. Uh, I love her. I will die for her. Oh, look, here she is in the hallway. Uh-oh, the cameras are moving. Oh, no, she's hearing things. Oh, there's a cop. Oh, thank God. The cop's, oh, the cop's leaving. Oh, this isn't gonna be. Oh god! Oh god! <laughs> like it was horrifying. Yeah, it is so well done. All you need is to turn on a camera and have a really good actor and really good sound design. Yep, that's literally all it fucking takes. And so few directors or editors, whoever makes the final decision on it, so few of them seem to understand that. Yeah. That scene just builds tension, and you have no idea where it's going to go. And where it goes is was never a thought in your mind. No. <laughs> Ever. This is a movie. Let me remind you, because I know you don't need it, but our brains have gone soft. Let me remind you, this is a film in which an elderly woman is seen crawling around on a ceiling <laughs> like a fly. <laughs> This is a film in which a priest gets stuck to a... Lots of people end up on ceilings. This is a movie where people end up on ceilings. A priest is stuck to a ceiling and peels his ear off to get off the ceiling <laughs> before he explodes. 
This is a movie full of decapitations and a guy called the Gemini Killer who's carving stuff in it. This movie is fucking bonkers. And yet there is such incredible restraint. Mm-hmm. Just that one shot is 100% restraint. Yeah. And it's so good. It's so, I mean, it's it's horror movie. It's one for the history books. Like that is yeah. always going to be cited as one of the greatest scenes in horror. Yeah. This This is a movie... With a Fabio cameo. I know. I always forget about Fabio Angel. And then there he is. And I get so excited. Fabio's in this movie. Um, Samuel L. Jackson is in this movie. Larry King is in this movie. Patrick Ewing is the angel of death. Basketball (laughs) player, Patrick Ewing. And it shows restraint. Yeah. What? (laughs) Yeah. At the, around, this is around the same time like Roseanne was popping up on Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> yeah, it's like Freddy was killing Zsa, Zsa Gabor. Yeah, and you have <laughs> Fabio. And, so it, of course they may, they put Fabio in The Exorcist 3. However, did, one of these things is not like the other. Well, that's why I say it feels like, like tonally um, and editing-wise and all of that, it feels like a film from the very early 80s or late 70s. Yeah, yeah, it feels, it feels, it, it very much feels like it could be a, a 70s prestige picture. Yeah. With one of those, like, much like The Exorcist, much like The Sentinel, it, it's mm-hmm. very much in line with those. And and what I have to say is that those are my favorite movies ever. <laughs> yeah. And they're so good and there's such a vibe. And this movie cashes right in on that. Which is why when you see 1990, it just, you just, huh? 1990, okay, well, okay. Because horror was getting real crazy around that time. You know, computer graphics were almost starting to be a thing. Mm-hmm. So so horror films were putting them in wherever they damn well pleased, whether they worked yep. or not. And so the fact that it does feel like a 70s, very early 80s. I say very early 80s because, like, The Changeling was, what, 1980. You know, I would say 82 is like the cutoff kind of of the horror prestige picture. Yeah, um, 83 started to get bonkers. Yeah. So that's why it just feels more of that era. And then, like, on top of all of this, you get a few scenes with Zora fucking Lampert. Oh! And you just, oh, I mean, just like she comes in with that husky voice and she is so sweet and like such a nice wife and she and her husband love each other so much and she's so incredible and I love her. (laughs) (laughs) I love the racist funny grandma. Oh my God. When when Julie, his daughter comes down and she, she has a braid in her hair. So grandma calls her Pocahontas with the hair. (laughs) (laughs) My God, grandma. But Zora Lamp, right? Like, what? Clean. I mean, you would love her regardless, but it's like, especially after not really having seen her in anything besides Let's Scare Jessica to Death 20 years prior, it's just, it's honestly a thrill to see her. And that's, I mean, part of like the suspense and the restraint, right? When yeah. he finds out that it's revealed, you know, that the. Because the Gemini killer is Father Kara, or is in Father Karras's body and is killing people, but also the Gemini killer is locked up. How is he getting out? Mm-hmm. 
uh, it turns out there's some also some body jumping happening. So this this Gemini killer hybrid demon spirit is jumping while he's asleep, is jumping into other people's bodies, into the bodies of the elderly people in like the dementia ward, and he's killing these killing people that way. Karis realizes this, and he realizes that someone is being sent to his house. Um, and that for me, I'm like, he's more nervous about Julie. And I'm like, I know Julie's your young daughter and you're excited for her. But I was like, if she fucking touches or like, <laughs> yeah. I was at but, the edge of my seat. But then it's also daddy old Aunt Bedelia. And you're like, should I also be rooting for her? Like, yes. what? don't don't make my queens fight each other. Yes. Please. Yes. But that scene is also a classic, like. Silence of the Lambs misdirection when he comes home and he thinks he's walking into the scene of a massacre and she opens the door and she's like, oh, hey, honey, mm-hmm. what's the deal with this nurse? She's a little weird. It's like mm-hmm. that that classic of when fucking Clary shows up at James Gum's house and he opens, the, you know, and it's like Crawford That's... opens one door, she opens another and you're like, what's going on? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, Stacey, that's why right in my notes at that moment, I wrote in all caps, oh, they silence of the lambs to me. Oh, look at because that. Because that classic, that classic misdirection flip. And they do it. They they flip it and then they flip it back. Because yes. you think he's going to walk in and see the nurse killing them or something. He walks in. Nobody's there. Yep. It's just Sora Lamper. Everything's cool. And then he walks in and she, there she is sitting at the fucking table. And they flip it back on you. But then they flip it again, and she's fine. She, yeah. The Gemini killer seems to have left her, and she has no idea where she is or what she's doing. And you're like, okay, everything's going to be Help fine. <laughs> you got me. And then she pulls out those fucking bone-cutting shears, and you're like, oh, no. Yeah, flip it again. And the yeah. shears are going right up, right wrapping around Julie's neck before uh. gra- racist grandma <laughs> yeah. says, I'll make an exception for you today. It pulls yeah. her by the hair right out of the shears. Yeah. My God. It's so good. Edge of my seat entertainment. Yeah. I am so thrilled. That you that this was the first time for you. Me ah. honestly, me too. I I I know we've all had a bad year, but I deserve this one. Yeah. I deserve this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I deserve a win. Yeah. It becomes you know, that's the thing, is like as a horror fan, it gets to the point where there isn't much it feels that you haven't like there's a a rare like cult movie you've never come across or whatever. But the stuff that's kind of out in the mainstream, the classics, the stuff with a, an iconic scene that is constantly cited, to have that sort of treat still waiting for you is just like wow. because what's the f- you can never go back home again, right? Yeah, right. I've already seen all these old movies. Mm-hmm. That that freshness is never going to be but now i was like oh i've got freshness once more freshness once more yeah that was my summer breeze i was so (laughs) i just oh it was it's it's so good yeah it's so good it has no right to be this good it really doesn't it's It's like psycho 2 it's like psycho 2 this should not be so good the the movie did not need a sequel and then it got a sequel and you're like yeah so the third one really should not be this good. Yeah. Even, I mean, and Psycho 2 is like, a, it's a fun one. It's good. It's really good. Right. It's a, it's a, but it's, it's more fun. Even the, the, when there's, you know, pathos and we're supposed to be feeling things, like there's still an element of 80s silliness kind of underneath it all. 
mm-hmm. um, or or sleaziness, sort of. But this, it's like like we just that that scene where he's starting to cry, like it, it immediately like was choking me up. Mm-hmm. It's just such a, it's so real world and simultaneously bonkers. Well, I think what is a testament to how good this movie is and how strong it is is that the Exorcist doesn't even need to exist for this to be exactly a good film. It doesn't re- it it enhances the first film and is enhanced by the first film, but it doesn't rely on it. It might rely on you knowing who Father Karras is, but that's about it. We don't have Reagan coming and being like, "Oh, hey, Father Kinderman, how's it going?" You know, like there's <laughs> there's no. Um, it stands on its own. Mm-hmm. If if The Exorcist didn't exist, this would still be an incredible film. Yeah, and that doesn't really happen. Except yeah. for, of course, Amityville 4, The Evil Escapes. That's Thank the only you. other one. The only time. Where it stands on its own as a strong piece of cinema. Uh, Scorsese <laughs> brand cinema. <laughs> yeah. Also, just to touch on that for a, a moment, is I would like all the listeners to know what a thrill it has been for me as someone who has proselytized Amityville 4, The Evil Escapes, for years now. That we did that episode on it, and it led to so many listeners seeing that film for the first time, and just getting a comment about it, about somebody's mind being blown that it even exists, has honestly been a highlight of this terrible, terrible year. And will continue to be, so. Stacy, Stacy got her wings, (laughs) y'all. Y'all gave me my wings. Or your lamps, you got your lamps. (laughs) I got my bulbs, thank you. What am I supposed to do with all these bulbs? Yeah, so thank you, everybody, for chiming in on that. Yeah. And some people being like, you wrote about this on Final Girl, I've known about it for years and years and years, and I've never, they never took the plunge. But then they did because we did the episode on it and it's available places now. And it's just what it just has been a joy for me. There you go. I told Anthony, I feel like a Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I said, I feel like what a Jehovah's Witness must feel like when someone takes that copy of the Watchtower out of their hands instead of just not answering the door. That's how I feel. And it's also, that's not just taking the copy of the Watchtower out of a sense of, like, obligation or, or politeness. Right. And that's it goes person, immediately in the recycling bin. Yeah, this is a person exciting. They are taking it out of your hands because they need that lamp. Yeah. And they read it, and then they say, come back next week and we'll talk about it. Oh, like, my God. That she, is the goal. She gets her wings. So thank you. Thank you to Gaylords of Darkness, the show, not us, but I mean, like, thank you to this <laughs> Thank you to this show for, like, allowing me a pulpit (laughs) from which to spread the word and for people to... Oh, man. Anthony has seen Exorcist 3? Wow. I have. Wow. Loved it. Wow, wow, wow. Loved it. I love that you loved it. It's so nice. It's just so nice to see... Like you said, it's so nice to see a good horror movie that I haven't seen. I'm usually... You know, that's why I'm... Well, when you could, I would flock to the theater to see whatever Ari Aster movie or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. is out. Because I'm like, well, I know this is going to be good mm-hmm. and, and well-made and thoughtful and more than just whatever stupid thing. Um, but getting to getting to, to flock back in time yeah, <laughs> to a little piece of joy. Because because right now, what do we have? We saw St. Maude. What do we have to look forward to? Halloween Bangs. That's on the top of our list. Yeah. <laughs> and... Halloween Bangs and Children of the Corn remake. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. But I mean, something uh, occasionally you get a Saint Maud that, you know, mm-hmm. it does happen, but it's like old stuff. Like you might see something that's like, I mean, when we did Blood Rage for this show, that was the first time I had ever seen it. And it's like, this is so much fun. I love this. This oh, is a Thanksgiving staple. Perfect movie. But also it's not, you know, it's not this. Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> Louise Lasser eating those green beans off the floor in front of her refrigerator? It's uh, it's not cranberry sauce. You know what I mean? This movie yeah. is the cranberry it's sauce. It's not cranberry sauce. <laughs> Listen, if you put two... If this could be our art installation, a two-channel video installation, right? I went to art school. You put the two videos next to each other. One is George C. Scott crying and holding in the emotions over the death of his best friend. And the other is... Louise Lasser trying to place a phone call for two hours. Operator, this is a real, real emergency. Operator. (laughs) You don't understand. This is a real, real emergency. (laughs) I love blood rage. Put on a sweater. It's cold out. (laughs) The blue one. Blood rage does rule. It fucking rules. If you haven't seen Blood Rage, everyone watch it. But also, like, with older stuff, I don't think this is true for you or I, because we're old to begin with. How dare you? (laughs) But also, like, somebody who's, you you think, like, oh, an an up-and-coming horror fan, somebody who's, like, in their early 20s and they're just discovering the genre. It's possible that, like, the pacing and the way movies were made back then... They might not have the same. You always, you see all people comment all the time like I don't know I watched Halloween for the first time and it wasn't that great. Yeah. Well, I don't watch anything pre nineteen ninety because I, I, see. I yeah I just you know it, it feels exclusive. Yeah. Well, I'm gave <laughs> <Okay>, one percenter. Wow. <laughs> Gonna watch something before two thousand. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but you know what I mean? But I think you or I are going to, can go back and watch something for sure. And there, I'm not saying there aren't any young people who don't appreciate older films, but it is also a criticism because things were paced very differently back then. Yeah. What's my point? I don't know. My point is like, it's rare to find an old movie you love anyway. Yeah, no. And then, and then also, because here's the thing that happens Am I an exorcist kid? Was I? Yes, absolutely. Do I still love The Exorcist? Yes, absolutely. Is Ellen Burstyn fucking everything? Oh, God, yeah. And still to this day, I don't think it's the the, 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 the props that she deserves for everything she's ever done. And most of all, especially The Exorcist. Um, yes, absolutely. But I've also seen The Exorcist 100,000 times. Yeah. I mean, like like Beetlejuice, you know, like he says, I, I've seen it a billion times and it gets funnier every time I see it. I've seen The Exorcist a hundred thousand goddamn times. And now I have another Exorcist that I can watch a hundred thousand times. That's so cool. Thank you. That's That honestly is so cool. Talking about earlier when we were talking about the small moments, like the Fargo thing and Kinderman and all that. I did think about the original film where Kinderman shows up. And is talking to her, and he sits down, and she offers him some coffee. And Ellen Burstyn, in that little moment, because she offers him some coffee or some more coffee or something, and he's like, oh, sure, that'd be great. Thank you. And you just, she just conveys how much she doesn't want him there and how much she wanted him to say no. 
Yes. But he didn't, and now she has to give him coffee. And it's uh-huh. just such one of, you know, one of Colin Drucker's patented acting micro moments mm-hmm. that just, it, it, go listen to Colin's podcast in the details for more about those kind of things. Uh, but it's just like Ellen Burstyn fucking bringing it. I just, I just am so in love with acting. <laughs> like people who can do that can convey such a truth in such a small, unflashy, unshowy way. Is just always blows me away. Right there with you. Right so. there with you. I mean, and that's why that's why I'm so drawn to these movies. I mean, as nuts as the old lady on the ceiling aside, I'm fucking love her. <laughs> old yeah. lady on the ceiling aside, I'm watching these movies for Ellen Burstyn. I'm watching mm-hmm. this movie for George C. Scott. Mm-hmm. And it, just on those terms, it fucking delivers. Yeah. I just feel like I have, like, a like a post-coital, like, um, gl- glow about me <laughs> having, having seen and talked about this movie, so. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. I love the, I love the three-ing, the re-three-ing. I love Exorcist 3. Yay! You finally got yours, Mots. I hope you liked it. Yeah. <laughs> I see why Mats is so obsessed with this movie and cites it as one of his favorites. Yes. Um, fabulous, fabulous film. I think I'm going to watch the director's cut. Um, Stacy. Mm-hmm. Well, now, are you ready to walk out of the chapel and place your head on the <laughs> chop's press? <laughs> I am. All right, yes, Chops for Anthony, you explain Chops for us, please. I have botched it every day. Me? <laughs> chops yeah. breast. What isn't chops breast? Chops breast is what you want it to be, man. It's what you make it. Chops breast is a kiosk in the mall where it's 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 they'd. It's not manned. It's they'd. It's they'd by the heads they who works what? at the kiosk. Chops breast. Chops press! It's a question and answer game. <laughs> Instead of getting to choose from three categories, because that's the chopping block. This is chops press. It's express. So you only you get one category that is given to you, and you get five questions asked, and maybe you get to answer them all if you're, or, but you could be wrong, and then you die. You have ten seconds to each answer each question. If you get it wrong, you're dead. But you could call out, I want the wig. In which case, um, in, if you call out, you want the wig, Jamie Lee Curtis's wig from the 1981 film Halloween 2 will descend from the heavens onto thine <laughs> scalp and confuse the heads they are non-binary executioner uh, into giving you an additional 10 seconds. Um, and then if you win, you win. And if you don't, you die. They're pretty much I, a similar outcome, except you have your head in one. Either we say yay or aw. And those are pretty much the two. Yes. I am i don't know whether you were trying to make me feel good, or if you just really are that bad at explaining it. But either way. <laughs> Let's say six of one, half a dozen of the other. Okay. It's day three. It's day three of the retraining. Either way, I completely appreciate it. So ask me, ask me to do it um, four days from now when I have oh. become a blobfish. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
They're really you know they though. you know you know what though they don't look I I get sad when I see them now because they don't actually look like that when they're in the water. That what? is because of like pressure issues when they come out. Oh, of the like water. they deflate. That like deflate them, and it looks like it's probably extremely painful. And so oh, I say, let's sad. let's instead of making fun of the funny blobfish, let's leave them in the water where they can live their full expanded lives. Well, I would argue that I was never making fun of. I was celebrating them. Um, well, yes, but yeah. but now that sounds sad. <laughs> it's very. I get sad when I see a blobfish. I'm like, it's probably in pain. Oh, that's as much horrible. As, a, as much as a fish can feel pain, who knows what's going on in there? Oh, in you, the water, don't you ever... they look totally different. Mm-hmm. Don't I have what? Sorry, I was googling blobfish. Well, I, you know, I just took a hit on my John Carpenter stogie, and I'm just like, what do bugs feel? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like bugs are alive, but what are they? What do they feel, man? They know fear. Yeah, man. Yeah. They know fear sometimes. Yeah. Unless they're assholes who just come right at you and try to sting you or whatever. But and they can react. They have they reactions. React. They, they run they away. have sense experience. So, like, what's going on inside of a bug, right? But do they, have a, sen- do they have a sense of self and I, you know? Do well, they have the I? Do they have probably, the, the ego? Probably. Probably not. And that's their blessing and their curse. That's true. Anyway. Wow. Life, right? And that's that... why that's why this is the express version of the chopping block, which goes <laughs> which goes faster. It goes faster, everyone. We designed it this way so it would go faster. Well, it goes faster, but also we don't have to come up with three categories every single day. That's true. It it's also our sanity. It's a sanity. Also, I have been coming up with new categories every day. Yes. Which we don't have to do. I could use the old ones that have been sitting here gathering dust, but instead, who goes first? You. I answer for Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Bring it on. I'm yeah. ready. Today, I am going to win. I feel it in my corn. Uh-huh. <laughs> I feel it in my corn. Corn has, the word corn has become basically like the word Smurf is for the Smurfs. <laughs> I just use it for everything. It's children of the corn. It's true, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. You know what? We're raising money. We're raising money. Okay. Put your head on the the, the express. (laughs) Just just cut it off. Right? Yeah. Just Just. give the thumbs down to the heads they. (laughs) (laughs) Please get out your your Exorcist three brand shears. <laughs> yeah, just it has the logo on it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just get it over with. Okay, oh. all right, I'm ready. I'm gonna win. I'm gonna win. I think you are. I think you are because these are. This, I think you're gonna get this. I think you're gonna get this, Stacy. Now, in keeping with the Exorcist, I did dust off an old category called "Let Go and Let God." Um, oh. It's sadly not called "Let Go and Let Corn," uh, yeah. <laughs> which was a recurring recurring theme last time. But it's it's about God, man, because this you know it's about God and religious themed horror films. Um, and this is just kind of trivia all over the place about those. I think you're gonna get them. I think my confidence them. is faltering. Okay, <laughs> you've, okay, you've seen all of these. You've mm. Stacy, be not the blobfish on the ground. Be the blobfish in the sea. Right? Oh, okay. You're going to swim right through these. Okay. 
Question one, let go and let God. You ready? Ready. Okay, question one. What horror movie mother is first seen spreading the word of God to her neighbors? Margaret White. Ding, ding, ding. Okay, Margaret okay. White and Carrie. I well almost, done. in the middle of that, I had a panic attack because it was like all the words started to not make sense. <laughs> I heard That's... them. I heard you saying them, but I had no idea what any of them meant. But then I snapped back into it for like the second half of the sentence and I got it. That's where I am in the re-three-ending, everybody. That is the re-three-ending defined right there. Yep. Okay, you're gonna you're you're moving on to question two. Question, question two. two. In 1976, this director released "God Told Me To," in which New Yorkers randomly kill each other thanks to good old God. That's Larry Cohen. Ding ding ding! Okay. <laughs> Larry Cohen, love Larry weirdo. Cohen. If you He's haven't great. seen, if you haven't seen King Cohen, the documentary about him, I highly recommend it. Oh, I haven't seen that. It's very good. Like I feel recommended to. I shall watch it. Good. Question three. Will I? Question three. <laughs> In this 2001 film, a widower known as the God's Hand Killer chopped up people he claimed were demons before passing his legacy on to his children. What was the film, and what actor starred in and directed it? Is this Frailty with Bill Paxton? Ding, ding, ding! I always forget that movie exists. (laughs) Me too! I thought it was good. I love Bill Paxton. Love Bill Paxton. R.I.P. King. R.I.P. For real. Thank you. Thank you. Stacy, look at you. You're on question four. I don't believe it. Okay. Question four. In Ridley Scott's Prometheus, this is the name given to the godlike muscle queen aliens that created the human race. Oh, no. Are you serious with this? Really? Those big white men things? The eraser man? I mean, a week! Uh, oh, I don't, I you don't know. just <laughs> I don't know who they are. I don't know who they are. And I What do don't... they do? They... What do they do? That's a good question. You're dead! <laughs> Listen, I don't care. I don't want to know the answer. Just tell me. Just tell me when I can go to the theater and see James Cameron's Prometheus's. Promethei. <laughs> I've been waiting for years for that. Listen, what do they do? They... What do they do? What do they do? He stood there and he looked at like a waterfall or whatever. <laughs> That's all I remember. And then there was the giant tire spaceship. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Don't. It was a me. donut. It was a donut that rolled over Charlize Theron because she should have just ran to the left. <laughs> <laughs> I love those spacesuits, though. I actually, I was really into the aesthetic of Prometheus. I'm sorry. It was wicked. Everyone hated that movie. I. I'm not even going to say it's a secret. I love Prometheus. I really like it. Yeah. I love Numi. I love that squid abortion. The suits were wicked. The suits were fucking wicked. The cast is great. Yeah, people are dum-dums. I don't care. Sometimes I'm a dum-dum. Sometimes I'm a movie dum-dum, and I'm like, I know this is dum-dumville. 
Yeah. Let me let me be here in peace. Thank you. I draw the line at Alien Covenant. Everyone knows I notoriously hate that film. Yeah. I draw the line at Alien Covenant. But Prometheus, I actually really liked. I thought it was good. What did, what did they do? They, don't tell me. They. Oh, my God. <laughs> what? I, I want to figure it out. What do they do? They make life. Are they the life men? <laughs> no. Keep down that, the life. Yes. <laughs> Yes. They are the creators. They life men. Now I'm stuck on life men. Sleepwalkers? People under the stairs. <laughs> how no, do they... you First how... men? Are they the first men? No, they're not the first men. They're <laughs> You should win for life men. The you egg sh- men. Are they the Birth men, the birth. What? Okay. What do you? How do you? That created the human race, right? What do they do? How did they? How do you do that? Like when you go into science and you like genetically what something to make a thing, right? Engineers. Mm. All right. Well, <laughs> this was us on the hundred thousand dollar pyramid, everyone. <laughs> By the end, we're in a fist fight for some reason. <laughs> Speaking of, have you ever seen that clip from Password where they had, um, oh my god, what's her, from Mama's Family? Uh, Vicky, Vicky like, Lawrence. Vicky Lawrence on there. And the woman just goes, oh, I can't say this one. Have you seen that clip? No. She just goes, the woman goes, literally, she's going through the questions and she just goes, I can't say this. And then Vicky Lawrence just goes, dyke. And it was the right answer. <gasps> <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> it's so good. That is next level. Mm-hmm. God bless Vicky Lawrence also. Fucking do, queen. Do the kids today know about Vicky Lawrence? <laughs> Probably not. Tell us about her, Mrs. Rooney. <laughs> you know what? I will. I love Vicky Lawrence. Love Vicky Lawrence. Mama's family's fucking formative. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm dead. You're it's, dead. It's your turn. Thank you. Did I learn anything today? Not really. <laughs> You learned they're called the engineers? I guess. I won't remember it. I'm willfully disposing of that information. You learned they're called the life men. (laughs) (laughs) Mrs. Psycho? Yes, Mrs. Psycho and the life men. That's your prog rock band. (laughs) Okay. Oh, fuck. All right, your category today, Anthony, yeah. is Cassandra, I Hardly Know. <laughs> Not the best title. But this category is all about the crazy horror movie doomsayers. In honor of Cassandra of Troy. In honor of Cassandra of Troy. Mm. This is, uh, you know, well, I just told you what it is. So I'm not going to repeat myself for once. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's right. So you, I will describe something. You tell me what it is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm game. Sometimes it's a movie. Sometimes it's a character. Sometimes it's something else. But it all has to do with that crazy townsperson who tells the kids that they're doomed. Mm-hmm. 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 Horror movie staple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm so nervous already. Okay. Oh. All right. Here we go. You'll get. You'll oh. get. You'll get these. Okay. 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 Here we go. Question one. This Friday the Thirteenth Doomsayer returns for part two, 
but he's doomed. Um, Crazy Ralph. Yes, ding, ding, ding. Oh, oh, thank God. Question two. In Friday the 13th, part three, Doomsayer Abel intones, I have warned thee, and thrusts something at the camera, true 3D style. What does he thrust at the camera? Um, um, I want the wig. Um, I don't even remember this. I remember the bunnies in the convenience store. It thrusts something at the camera. Or some, um, uh, uh, Bible? No. It's an eyeball. An eyeball? He has an eyeball. What? They come, they almost run him over in the van, and then they all get out, and they're like, "What's this guy doing?" And he's like, "You're a dude. Oh, I yeah. have warned thee." And he's got the eyeball, and he points it right at the camera. Where did he get an eyeball? That's for him to know. That's his private <laughs> business. <laughs> I've. This is my favorite Friday Thirteenth movie. Is it my favorite? Or is two? It's two. I think it's three. an animal. I think it's an animal eyeball. Like it's like a cow he eyeball. He pulls out an eyeball. Yeah, he has an eyeball. Stacy, something is not right. I don't know where I am or what's happening or any movie <laughs> I've ever seen. Wow. This is in the movie. I have warned thee. <laughs> yes, and it's also in my book, Death Count. Oh, it is. All of the deaths in the Friday the Thirteenth film series illustrated, which is available on Amazon. Oh wow, I see. Amazon. He's in there. He's in there. He's in there as a character who doesn't die, but he's a character I love nonetheless. And I drew a picture of him holding the eyeball out towards what one would presume would be the camera. You know what? My soft brain is just going to accept that this happens in that film. Oh, 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 how generous of you that you'll just accept it? (laughs) As if you have doubts, Meryl. (laughs) I do, in my habit. Thank you very much. (laughs) I'm going to, I'm from Boston. I'm going to park the car (laughs) and have doubts. I have doubts. (laughs) How did they not just burn the edit? Like, just burn the entire film when they got to that point. Well, when you watch it the next time, I'll be waiting for an apology, an acknowledgement, (laughs) or something. You'll say, you know what, Stacey, you're right. When you uh, had to watch those films repeatedly in researching the book that you wrote about it, (laughs) and you drew a picture of this specific moment in the film, I realize I still was skeptical that it happened. (laughs) I don't know, Stacey. (laughs) I'm still working on accepting this round earth theory that you keep talking about. That's true. But I will, you know, I'll watch it and maybe if it feels, I'll I'll consult with some of my friends who are also informed. Mm. I'll have a little think tank and maybe then I'll, maybe I'll issue you an apology. And, you know, if I feel like performing enough on the internet, then maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll make a public apology. Wow. Yeah. I'll do, I'll do what, I'll do what I always love where I write, I'll write a treatise in my notes section of my phone and I'll screenshot that and I'll post it on Instagram. So it's official Mm -hmm. that I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Well, another re-threening entry down. Another day, another day ticked on the wall with the chalk in the asylum of the re-threening. Another movie to come tomorrow. Ooh, what are we watching? 
What are we watching? Sneak preview. Sneak preview tomorrow. We're covering a film that I've never seen before. And that film is uh, Return of the Living Dead Part 3. Ooh! This time she's a girl! This time she's a goth girl. Yeah! (laughs) Um, With that lady from the OC, Melinda... Bye, Stacey. Uh, <laughs> oh. Melinda something. I love that you turned into the evil dead wind. I could have kept going. <laughs> the IMDB has been trying to figure out how to how to put her name on the site so as to not break it. <laughs> Melinda something. Anyway. That's the what OC? we're going to Yeah, she was on the OC. Anyway, we're going to do that movie. Um, you can continue to donate to the fundraiser. My God, and it looks like you are actively doing that as we record this. Stacey, we've gone up to 85 donors and we're at $3,200 raised. Oh my gosh. I just... (laughs) It makes all the brain softening worth it. It really does. It really, really, really does. Thank you so much for giving. Thank you for spreading the word. Please continue to pass that link around like it's a case of herpes. A hot potato, not herpes. <laughs> okay, well, six to one, <laughs> half a dozen of the other. Why not both? JPEG. Um, yeah, you can find that link on GoFundMe. You can look for Gaylords of Darkness. The link is also available on our website, GaylordsofDarkness.com. It's on all of our social medias everywhere the Instagrams mm-hmm. and Twitters and Facebooks. Um, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. For real, for real. Remember, this is all going to the National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum. Yes. So every dollar counts and helps. Every share counts and helps. Um, y'all are, are absolutely uh, queens. <laughs> queens! Really yes. stepping up, and it makes me really uh, thankful and really proud yeah. of, of our little shit show. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, thank you. We'll be back tomorrow. For a haunted tome made out of skin, it's so loosely structured, yet informative. I know, right? Uh, Is it over? It's glowing and spinning on its own, so I'm gonna guess yes. Ah, Oh oh my my god! God. Oh Oh my my god! God. Tune in next time for more Gaylords of Darkness! Ha <laughs> ha